centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Governor Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Rooted. This week, we're diving into shamrocks in honor of St. Patrick's Day. But before we can dive into the science and plant facts, we have a few things to clear up. First, there isn't actually a true consensus on what a shamrock is. Since the word itself originated from the term simog, which roughly translates to young clover. With that in mind, scientists underwent a literal century-long endeavor to find out what the true shamrock would be. The most noted way they did this was by literally asking the public in Ireland to mail in a sample of the plant they considered to be a shamrock. And here's what they found. 51% of people believed that a shamrock was the lesser clover, otherwise known as the trefoil dubum. Others, 34% or 35% later, believed that it was the white clover, and 6-4% believed that it was the red clover. So, for today's episode, we'll just be discussing some of the general traits of these plants, as they're all part of the same family, and are honestly extremely similar. Before we dive into all that, we have one more thing to clear up. Here in the United States, and in many other parts of the world, the houseplant we call shamrocks is actually a variety of oxalis, specifically the woodland sorrel, and it can be green, purple, or even a mix of the two. They have adorable little flowers, and they can have three or four leaves. And while they're adorable and very festive, they are not widely accepted as the true shamrock, so we won't be talking any more about those little bundles of floral deceit today. Generally, shamrocks or clovers are part of the legume family, which I did warn you we would be talking about a lot, since it's a large and popular family with lots of plants that are closely tied to spring. As a member of the legume family, They do a lot of the same things as beans and peas, especially when it comes to regenerating the soil. Clovers are generally small annuals or biannuals characterized as being short with three or four leaves. They're typically very short and grown in large, sprawling clumps, which makes them a great ground cover and an increasingly popular choice for lawn replacements and cover crops. Their flowers are like little tufts, with sort of tubular individual flowers that come together to create a round, large-looking bloom. Many people pick them for the flower and then bite the ends of each individual flower off, as they have a very sweet, almost honey-like floral taste. And they're an important food source for many different species of wildlife, including bears, birds, and others. They're also an important family for bumblebees, honeybees, which in turn help the clover to reseed more efficiently. They are native to most of Europe, but have spread nearly worldwide because they're so tolerant and effective at amending the soil. 
They really aren't picky about much, but they do need to be kept in consistently moist soil, so they don't do too well in harsh, dry environments without additional watering. The vast majority of clovers have only three leaves, with four-leaf clovers being extremely rare. They are actually a genetic defect in the plant, but recently they've become more common due to attempts to stabilize the gene in order to make them more widely available. But how did they come to symbolize luck? And where do the fairy folktales come in for this guy? Well, to understand that, we're going to have to go way back in Irish history. So grab your tweed and let's dig in. Okay, so here's the deal. Four-leaf clovers are obviously rare, and it's this rareness of them that makes them extra lucky. Regular clovers are also lucky, and we'll dive into that, but for now, just know that clovers are all important, but four-leaf clovers are extra special. So because of their extra specialness, it only makes sense that they would be extra powerful, particularly when it comes to an Irish folk favorite, fairies. For those who aren't super familiar with the Irish rendition of fairies, they were essentially little sprites. They most often present themselves to humans in a way that is very similar to us, but fairies are not the sweet little innocent guys we know today. Back then, they were tricksters. They would often help people, but were honestly just as likely to cause harm or pull pranks, so they weren't really something most people wanted to mess with, unless they really needed help. But while the relationship with fairies was already complicated, it gets even more messy when you learn about the fact that sometimes humans were actually invited into the fairy realm, or taken, depending on the story, and sometimes they even helped to raise fairies. When they did so, it was often understood that they would need to rub an ointment onto the fairy child, as at birth they were more human-like, and therefore susceptible to human illness or death. So, at a certain point, humans would need to rub this ointment into the baby's eyes, but sometimes they would get this ointment into their own eyes, and then they would be able to see through the fairy's spell and into the fairy realm which is reportedly even scarier than they made it in True Blood. So, altogether, just not a fun place to be. And what was that ointment made of, you might ask? Well, we can't know for sure. But apparently, it was bright green. And it just so happens that when you distill the leaves of a clover down into what you would use for an ointment, it can be pretty green. Couple that with the sheer number of times it comes up as an attracting plant for fairies, and well, it just kind of makes sense. And it's because of these stories with the ointment that it was generalized that anyone who happens to stumble upon these four-leafed friends would be given the gift to see fairies, which was a blessing because they couldn't prank you or steal your friends, and a curse because you would have to see their horrific true form. Okay, so now that we understand the folklore behind four-leaf clovers, let's talk a little bit more about their three-leafed brethren. The story goes that three-leaf clovers are also lucky, mostly because they helped early Irish druids to see and ward off evil. 
This belief is ultimately what led to shamrocks being a symbol closely tied to Ireland. It was due to this belief that couples getting married would often add clover into their wedding flowers, hoping to bring good fortune and ward off negative energy in their marriages. But it didn't just keep evil at bay. Apparently, snakes hated it too. In fact, there's an old Irish saying, anywhere a trefoil grows, snakes must not go. So that's part of why Ireland has no snakes. That and St. Patrick. But who is St. Patrick? And why are people dying a whole river green in his honor this weekend? Well, according to legend, St. Patrick started out as just Patrick. And as a young lad, Patrick was taken away from his swanky life in England by a group of Irish pirates who took him to Ireland where he was kept as a slave. And it was during those years that he studied Christianity and grew into his Christian faith. And one day he heard a small voice tell him he was going to be going home soon. Sure enough, within a week he was able to escape and find a ship captain who would take him home. As luck would have it, the ship crashed. Patrick lost his faith. Until he decided at one particularly low point to pray for food. And suddenly, a pack of wild boars just appeared. Upon seeing that, a lot of the other ship members also started believing in Christianity. That really sparked Patrick's interest, so he decided he would dedicate his life to being a missionary. Eventually, he returned to Ireland, where most people still worshipped their gods and practiced the traditions they had for centuries. Patrick saw the clover as his way in. People already held it in high regard, so he just needed to find a way to tie it into Christianity. That's when he got the idea to use the three leaves to represent the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With that, he was able to explain and incorporate many Irish traditions into Christianity, helping him to spread the word and his beliefs through the country. As he was doing this, he would often fast to show his love and devotion to God and prove that God would provide. But on one of his fasts, legend has it that snakes came to distract Patrick, so he banished them all into the sea. We now know that in post-glacial Ireland, they just never had snakes. But I like the mental image of Patrick just focusing so hard he flung all the snakes into the ocean. I wish I could do that. Anyway, Druids and St. Patrick are the main ways that shamrocks came to widely symbolize Ireland, but it wasn't the only way. In fact, throughout history, a lot of Ireland's enemies would use the clover in their propaganda to symbolize Ireland as weak or small and easy to crush. But clover, much like the people of Ireland, is actually very resistant and leverages its power in numbers, which is exactly what the Irish resistance did in the 1700s leading the Queen of England to ban the shamrock as a symbol until the 1890s, when Queen Victoria allowed Irish soldiers to wear shamrocks in an effort to show her respect to their efforts in the Boer War, where the Irish saw a massive number of casualties in helping the British. In fact, this is where the tradition of the royal family giving the Irish military shamrocks on the 17th comes from. Clovers were also used for so much more than symbolism. In Ireland and throughout Europe, clover was often eaten fresh in salads or used in things like tea. And remember that ointment we talked about earlier? 
Well, it turns out people really might have been using clover juice in their eyes, as it has some antimicrobial properties that may have helped get rid of eye infections. So, maybe not for seeing fairies, but at least for seeing a little more clearly. Europeans and Native Americans alike also used white clover to cure coughs, colds, and other ailments because of those antimicrobial properties. Today, clover is mostly thought of as a ground cover or weed, but it's still a favorite among foragers who use it to make teas, tinctures, and other tasty treats. While it may not be a super common in medicine, clover is becoming a very popular alternative to grasslands due to its lower maintenance and popularity with pollinators. So, it won't surprise me if we start seeing these little guys pop up a lot more frequently. Whether you're celebrating St. Patrick's Day, replacing your lawn, or just happen to stumble upon a clover patch on your next walk, I hope you take a second to appreciate how much history and culture can be wrapped up in such a tiny little package. And keep an eye out for four-leaf clovers for a little bit of extra luck. If you liked the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rooted.Pod. We're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Thanks for being here, and until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water.